What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from X-Growth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Growth Colony. I'm Alex Hipwell. Vinny Romano is here. Shaheen hey. Hoder is here. Sup, people? Yeah, great to have you back. Vinny, what's on top of mind for you this week? What's on top of mind for me this week? There's quite a few things. Thanks, Alex. Hey, Shaheen. The biggest thing that happened this week when it comes to disruption was obviously Optus going down. Yep. 10 yep. million, 10.5 million people being impacted. thought that was crazy. Do we know yet what happened or why? Uh, I think it was uh, something to do with their infrastructure um, from what I understand. But we are going to be talking about Optus a little bit more from a different angle. But um, from my understanding, and I'm sure by the time this is out, we'll have a much better understanding that it was an infrastructure issue when that they were updating. I watched I watched the video that the, the reporter grilled the Optus CEO. Oh, I feel and bad. For that it, was man. painful. That was painful. But I actually think that was a great piece of uh, PR piece. I well, don't know if you saw this. Hold on, hold on. Did you, did let, you see this video? Let's uh, not Vinny? get into Vinny? the PR quite yet. Oh, it's good. It's it's. I think it's a good conversation because um, <laughs> I think we're gonna be. We're, we're totally that. we're, we're totally messing it. up Alex's yeah, I'm like, structure I'm, I'm, here. Just we we just kicked. Yeah. We just kicked up under the Lego piece right here. Um, yeah, Alex, gonna, like, gonna bring stop, back don't do this. We're going to come back to the PR point. Shaheen, what's on top of your mind for this week, apart from Optus? No, Optus, Optus wasn't on my mind this week. In fact, I got up and, and it was all, I was like, this is actually pretty good. I'm not going to get any, any phone calls. Um, <laughs> great excuse. But um, but I think uh, from from my side, I've been, uh, there, was a, there was a podcast that Tim Ferriss put out and I don't listen to Tim Ferriss too often just because I'm intimidated by the length of the podcast that he puts out. But there was a podcast that he put out by, and he was talking to Sam, I think his last name is Karkos, I think. He's, he's a co-founder of Levels um, in the bi- biomedical space. But they were talking about delegation. I loved it. I loved it. And I've, I've learned tons from that conversation. And maybe we'll put that put that link in the, in the show notes. But uh, that's been on my mind. Delegation has been on my mind. And how can we do it better at X Growth? So, yep. um, yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on in mine. Yeah. Well, for me, it's been about social selling, like how how to make it uh, easy for staff members to get around social selling in a company, at least the ones that are interested and uh, are interested in doing social selling. And right. around have, uh, Vinny here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And around account based marketing specifically, and how can make that more digestible on places like LinkedIn for people who are maybe just don't know much about it, but how we can make account-based marketing sexy um, online and make it interesting. Do we need to be doing other things that, to make it like, should, I don't know, maybe we should get Shaheen to do an account-based marketing wrap at X-Growth. Maybe that's on the table. He's not looking impressed, but yeah, for me, it's been all about social selling on my mind. So Let's get into our big story for the week. HubSpot marketing software maker and CRM is acquiring B2B data provider Clearbit to enhance its platform with third-party company data. The deal also brings Clearbit's over 
400,000 users, and 1,500 business customers. HubSpot will eventually see the two platforms combine under to provide HubSpot's customer base with expanded data and insights. Earlier this year, Clearbit CEO Matt Sorensen emphasized the significance of large language models and generative AI in their tech stack, predicting LLMs would revolutionize entire industries, particularly the data sector within 18 months. So I think it's a very interesting move by HubSpot. Um, obviously, what, what they've done is it it brings them from, it takes them from marketing automation and CRM space into actually the go-to-market tech stack. And, uh, and, and the acquisition is really interesting from that point because now they're they're competing with Zoom Info, which was the giant in uh, in the in the in in the inside space. Well, you see, because what I was saying before is that when I saw the news about Clearbit being acquired by HubSpot, my first initial reaction, for full transparency, I'd never heard of Clearbit. I didn't know what they did. I did a bit of research. I understand, and I think it's a you know it is a smart acquisition from my perspective. I suppose it's going to help. It's going to help millions of you know uh, existing customers at HubSpot have a better experience and gain the data that they need. Get it? Great. I didn't know who they were, what they did, but <clears throat> I suppose the point for me is why is it such a big deal? Yeah, I think. You know, so uh, that's a great point, right? And and I think Clearbit, Clear Clearbit was one of those, I'd say, very tech friendly platforms that got introduced into the B two B data space. Where in the in the early days, what they were was, hey, somebody signs up on your on your website. What we'll do is we'll enrich it with Clearbit. So you have us in the background and we will just give you additional information like what company they're in and we'll fill that into your into your CRM, right? That's where the space that they're got if they came in it's years ago and then they start to mature into all right, now we're going to give you more data, more information they they start to go multi multi product. But I think the importance of what HubSpot has done and and the the key component here is there is there is a movement happening in in B2B and the movement is the focus on go-to-market and building go-to-market strategies and further enhancing go-to-market plans. Now, GTM has been something that's been around for a while as a, as a terminology and been thrown around. But you, uh, I, I think you're seeing a renaissance around the term GTM happening in the B2B space where it's like, what is your go-to-market strategy? You see this with a lot of ABM platforms. They A lot of them have stopped calling themselves an ABM platform, and they talk about a, a GTM platform. And uh, and I think by this move, HubSpot has positioned itself to kind of start getting into that space. They now are obviously a direct competitor of a company like Zoom Info. And, uh, and Zoom Info is the giant in the space, right? They're a they're, I can't remember their market valuation. They're a multi-billion dollar organization. They merged with another company called Discovery Org back in, you know, a few years back, and they became the gorilla in the B2B data space. And HubSpot making the Clearbit acquisition is saying that we're getting into that space and, you know, Zoom Info, be on, on red alert. Be careful about your market share. And there's a, there's a whole play and i think you know what was going to happen with hubspot is that they're going to further invest in that space potentially even look at acquiring some b2b platform sorry sorry a, some abm platforms and and who would be the right fit i'm not sure for them but uh, i think that's what 
is happening and uh and i think it's a smart move for them so what you're saying is okay that's interesting so it's it's almost like this acquisition from hubspot to clearbit is not only allowing hubspot to compete in a, another area of b2b marketing uh be it believe what you're saying is they're now able to play in the gtm space as well as the crm the 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 marketing the, the yeah ABM, I, I think, think i think you got to think about what hubspot is trying to do right hubspot is trying to completely dominate the mid market so that there's no player that is going to compete with hubspot and they've done a great job at that right they know it's extremely hard to compete in the in the enterprise uh-huh. space and compete with salesforce mm-hmm. Like that is just CRM and marketing perspective. That's right. That's right. That's a, that's, that's been a losing game for them because so entrenched how, how Salesforce is entrenched in in these large organizations. So they're like, how do we dominate the mid market space? And we become, well, I I reckon they're moving out of small. Like I I think they have been that they're pulled pulled customer service away. They, you can't get anyone on the phone anymore at HubSpot, not to, Exactly. I mean, I mean, their, their customer service is great, but you're right. Like, I, I think they've, they've, they've moved out of that space and they're like, hey, let that space be dominated by, you know, the smaller CRM marketing automation, whether it's pipe drive or, you know, there's a, there's like a whole the, like the standalone CRM, standalone CRM, like your MailChimps as well are down there and maybe even Zoho to some extent, even though Zoho. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think they're like, let those guys dominate that space. Let's- we're going to go after mid-market. We can sell more stuff to yeah. them. And this play is like, okay, how can we sell more stuff to our mid-market customers? Yeah. They have the budget and let's bring all these other bits and pieces and start selling it to them. So, which I think is, is smart. And I don't, th- I think they're going to be, it is going to so hard, be so hard to compete with HubSpot. Do you think they're priming themselves to become an ABM platform as well? Add, a, add that on. I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I, I think they're probably going to do some investment there. So th- I, I know they are in sales engagement. They they're present and they're present in the. They have an ABM module, but with the Clearbit move. It actually makes sense to, to incorporate some of that. They might build that in-house and further develop their own ABM, ABM model, or they might do an acquisition. The, I think the ABM space, just like the data space, is prime for mergers and acquisitions and companies kind of joining forces. So I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. All right. Might be seeing it from HubSpot. All right. Let's move into some smaller, maybe not so much smaller, but some other stories that happened this week. On Wednesday, November 8, Optus's broadband and mobile network went down nationally, affecting individuals, businesses, train networks, and even some hospitals lost critical communications. Hours into the Optus uh, outage, customers, big and small, had little idea what was happening and when it was going to be fixed. Even the home affairs and communications ministers were unable to get an answer. This is a reputational disaster for Optus, who was trying to shake off last year's massive cyber attack. Optus was slow to let 10 million customers know the extent of their data breach last year. Vinny, has Optus learned its lessons about communication during a crisis? Sure answer, I don't know. We don't know what happened this time round, or at least I don't. I was waiting for Optus to give me a call or send me a message, but then I realized, oh, wait, I'm on Optus. They're not going to be able to get in touch. 
Do you reckon? Do you reckon this is impactful, Vinny, to to, to like you know long term business growth? What what happened? Yeah, like what this what what has happened here? Do you do you actually think? I have some thoughts on this. I, I'm very curious to get your thoughts. Like, do you think this is going to have a broader impact for Optus, or it's like, hey, business as usual, man? Yep, stuff happens. Back to normal. I think. I think it depends who you ask. I myself, I'm an Optus yeah. customer. There. <laughs> Like I'm going to go on the record and say it. They've already got me on record talking to their customer service people, getting really frustrated when you know they can't answer a simple question. I think their reputation was crap anyway to begin with from a customer service perspective. But if you look at it from a zoomed out view, I mean, how often has an outage happened? I mean, this is different to a cyber cybersecurity attack unless, unless this was a cybersecurity attack and they're not telling us. But if... I'm to assume that this is just an outage. This is different to a cybersecurity attack. I think the cybersecurity attack, I think that they will have and should have learned their lesson from that. Did I leave as an Optus customer when that happened? No. But did I leave because I really love Optus? No. <laughs> I left because it could have happened to the others. Optus is the second largest mobile operator telecommunications network in across australia new zealand is it new zealand as well or is it just australia don't know. might be might be but do i think that what happened the other day they're going to learn from sure maybe is it something that you know there's anything to learn from don't know don't know what happened do i think that it's something that you know is damaging for their brand from my perspective again depends who you ask but from my perspective Look, I don't have high hopes for them as it is. They're a mobile phone network and I use them for for what I have them for. 99.9% of the time, there's not an outage. I've been here for 10 years, 10 and a half years. I've never witnessed anything as crazy as that. Good job I didn't have Wi-Fi on Optus. So I was able to stay connected. It was a bit of disruption, but, you know. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me say this, right? One of the things that, one of the reasons I'm like, okay, this has happened. All right, it's bad for them. They've gone to the press. They're trying to manage it. But really, as it have a long-term impact is, just like you said, like we've got two big players, like it's Telstra and Optus, right? Yes, there are smaller players that are in the space as well. And they, you know, they have some customers, but really they're, they're two main players. And are you going to go to Telstra? Are you going to go to small players? I don't know. Maybe you bleed a little bit, but I just feel like, the competition is just so shallow yeah. that so what? It's like you don't have that much option on that many places to to go to. And it's like you said, it's like, okay, it hasn't happened before. It happened now. You know, um, yes, there were certain things that were down, but how difficult is going to be to rip out the, uh, especially for the heavy infrastructure that, that they've put in with governments and or organizations, yeah. how challenging is going to be to kind of rip that out and then say, now we're going to go with another provider. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just going to, something that has happened, cool, cool people are going to forget about it and then just move on because we don't have that strong competitive landscape mm -hmm. in the in this place. It's like, I feel like it's like Qantas and I mean, can you say Virgin maybe right now? But it's like, who are you going to fly with? It's just a bunch of people. And yeah, 
you don't like them, great. Just we well, are going to continue going. <laughs> yeah, with them. and I suppose you know something. Something you, you've brought to my attention in what you just said is that you know it depends a who you ask, but also from what perspective. If you're talking about at a grassroots customer one-on-one individual basis, that was my response. Your kind of thought process was more, you know, evolved to. businesses, which makes it even more difficult. There was an element of, you know, because I didn't have any phone connection and I I didn't have anything to, to communicate with, I was actually out of the house when it, when, when, when I was impacted, I had nothing to do, but to look around me and look at my surroundings. And I thought, Oh, that's quite nice. I actually noticed the top of that building before, but there was a thought that went through my head, quite conspiracist. So allow me to share. Okay, Um, here we go. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh the conspiracy theories are coming out yeah let's do but, it but hang on right so you know what it's all bill gates yeah, yeah, what uh it's killing birds no what um what happens what about if you know optus did it on purpose to make their customers think oh yeah see you need us right <laughs> maybe um, maybe they were in i think it's a bit of a stretch they, but <laughs> maybe they were in cahoots with Telstra and that's why Telstra haven't capitalized on, you know, taking a sneaky jab at Optus. But then, you know, someone else said to me, no other provider is going to get involved because when it happens to them, they don't want to be crucified by Optus. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I quickly came to the realization that the conspiracy that I had dreamt up was due to boredom of not having <laughs> yeah. Wi-Fi connection. All right, all right. Well, that's a that's a good good point to move on. Um, yes, uh, we'll see what happens with Optus and how they continue to communicate through this crisis. Uh, next up, this is one uh, that Shaheen has shared. Over Halloween, Umalt, a B two B video ad agency, released a Halloween parody video, Possessed. A trailer based on the omen. The twist, he's not the son of Lucifer. He's just a B2B marketer. And naturally, video went viral on LinkedIn. It's a great video. I recommend watching it. We're going to add it into the show notes. Guy Bauer, founder and creative director at Umol, discussed the video on their podcast about why we should stop being so strategic and how there is no secret formula and no checklist to good creative. He goes on to say one of the byproducts of being viral on LinkedIn is that everyone tries to be an expert or weigh, weigh in on why they think it's good. But he thought everything people were citing was quite funny because he never once compared the script or concept to checking those boxes. He continues by saying on a macro level, in terms of a yearly campaign, what you should do is know who you should target, who your audience is and message, and that kind of strategy is absolutely important. But on an idea level, you should never let all that strategy get in the way of entertaining people or coming up with something that people like. Trust your ideas and trust that they may work. What's your take, Shaheen? I've got to say I do agree with what Guy is saying. Yeah, I think... I think it's it's um we have firsthand experience on this very recently actually at X Growth. Like we definitely try to put a lot of informative quote unquote thought leadership stuff out on on LinkedIn and 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 don't get me wrong, I think I think we put a lot of effort in to kind of make sure that those are valuable and actionable and people can can leverage it. And but you know, recently we have done a couple of uh videos where it's like, hey, 
like Liza recorded a video and says, hey, my boss just let me create a TikTok video. And she just dance servers around or shoots a couple of video of when we went bowling. And they've had the highest engagement we've had in a very long time from our content. And, and it was it was it was a lot more human, less. Let me tell you what you need to know. Uh, and I totally agree with that. I, I have conversations with with multiple kind of marketing leaders that that have talked about they're really excited about they feel like that the pendulum is swinging back to creativity in the marketing space from the performance marketing world where it's all about the data and the numbers and these platforms and that platforms and this is the the ROAS and the ROI and the you know number of leads and all that stuff where it's like hey we feel like creative is becoming more and more important and and the pendulum is swinging back so I, I love that piece of content I think I think there's a lot of merit to it. I know what uh, you know. I, I really want to hear what your thoughts are, Vinny. You know, you come from that the, the branding space where, again, that creativity element is really important. Not, you know, yeah. C- curious to hear what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, look, I saw I saw the video a few weeks before we shared it in the group as well. So it was it wasn't. It, I suppose the point that I'm making there is is that it was something that caught my attention organically rather than it being shared with me. And I, I thought the same thing. I thought, what a great way to communicate a message in situ, right? And I think the reason why it's great, and I, and I agree with um, everything that's been said uh, with regards to it being creative uh, and it actually stopping and making you think, but that's the epitome of creative advertising. The trouble is in B2B, the bar is so low there isn't much creativity in B2B marketing. And there's a number of reasons for that. My background is creative agency, large, medium, small creative agency, working mainly on B2C brands. Uh, That's where I started my career. Creative advertising generally tends to take, take lead on B2C brands. And I think there's a couple of things that we can unpack here. One, just quickly look at the difference between B2B and B2C. Not saying that there's that, that this is a reason as to why creativity shouldn't make it into B2B, but probably a reason why it doesn't. In B2B, sales cycles are longer, cost of sale is higher, and there are more people in the decision-making process. You need to create a lot more content for a lot for for many multiple for many more multiple touch points in B2B. And paying for creativity might not seem as palatable or doable in B2B. Now, that's not an opinion that I share, but it certainly feels to me that having worked across both B2C and B2B, that that could be a reason as to why there isn't. Is that a solution? Perhaps not. The thing is, is that whether you're in B2B or B2C, the way people buy is ultimately the same. You have to convince the right person to go and purchase what it is that you're putting down. But because the cost of set, the, 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 the unit price of things in B2B generally tends to be a lot higher, does that mean that creativity needs to take a back seat? I would argue not. There are some great examples of creative B2B executions out there. One that comes to mind is um, The Wolf with uh, Christian Slater from HP. They did a, they did a whole cybersecurity creative piece series with Christian Slater acting as a virus in professional environments. 
And it was really, really well done. But again, I'd temper that with, well, the bar is so bloody low, right? So I think that what UMOP has done has, it's created something that fundamentally has, has identified that the bar is so low to begin with. Let's do something topical, in this case, Halloween, launch it at the time so it's going to be relevant. But when you really boil it down, it's creative in such a way that it stops and makes you think not just about the product, but also about you and your thoughts. And I think that's the reason why it works. And I think that's the reason why good creative advertising in general, whether it's B2C or B2B, does work because fundamentally it makes you stop and it makes you think. And that's how you can find yourself engaging with something more creative rather than the straight down the straight down the throat of, hey, download this ebook. I have a question for you. Yep. I have a and question on this front. Okay, you go for it, Shane. Do you think do we think that there's a lot of conversation in you know the past couple of years that oh the Don Draper kind of model of like this is the creative and this is how we're gonna do and this is the message we're gonna put in is 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 has is dead and it's all about the A B test and and the performance marketing and the and the and the return on, on investment. My question is, do you reckon we are going back to a version? I'm not saying it's exactly what it was before, but to a version where that element of creativity is becoming more and more important because of the saturation that we're seeing from the performance marketing space. Is that is is a version of that world coming back or, or that that kind of not not it wasn't a category of marketing or advertising, but that that way of thinking or that approach to uh, to marketing is an element of that coming back uh, stronger than it was in the past couple of years. What do you think on that? Me? You go. Yeah, Vinny. Yeah, go for it. So is is uh, a double shot whiskey single malt at 11 a.m. coming back to the workplace? Um, That's, uh, <laughs> oh, I thought that, that I, 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 didn't, so. I, I didn't realize that left. I, I, I thought I, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> X growth, everyone. Um, uh, so, but it's interesting that that was your response because that's actually my response, my serious response to your serious question, which is, I don't believe I don't believe it ever left. I think I think what we have seen, I think, and and bearing in mind, I've been out of creative agency for a, for a few years now, so I don't know if I have a finger on the pulse as to you know where it's where whether it's whether it's gone, whether it's coming back. I think that you know even if you watch episodes of Mad Men, the 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 era of creative advertising, I I, I think creativity still reigns supreme. It's just how you, what am I trying to say? Creativity does reign supreme over and above the majority of other advertising types, I would say, right? Again, there's lots of things that you can get into in that, but I would say that creativity, if you are creative and it makes sense and it's relevant, right? And it stops and makes you think. And that's what I mean by creative, creativity, stopping and making the person that you want to stop and make think. That's where you're going to impact change and have someone actually engage, no matter how small or big, with your brand, your product or your service. I don't think that's ever left. I think that even back in the Mad Men days, and when and when I was working in advertising, which was some years later, is that the struggle 
the struggle to maintain and hold on to that was was still there back in the Mad Men days. I wasn't around, but from watching the TV show, if you look at and 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 analyze that they are striving to convince and to ensure that creativity is at the epicenter of any work that they do. Obviously, they have to do that. They have an incentive to do that. Otherwise, they're out of a job. But the constant struggle of or battle to ensure that that thinking is coming through and convincing the client that that is the way to go, I don't think that ever left. And I think it's a lot easier for anyone to think that they are a creative and that their idea is going to work from an advertising perspective. And so with the costs that come along with creating true creativity, and I'm not saying that every creative agency gets it right, but if you can pay for and find the budget for creative advertising, branding, and that consistency of message, then you are building that brand equity, which is very important. Brand equity, brand awareness, which is very, very important. And on the back of that, okay. Vinny, Love for it. everyone's Love reference, it. Vinny is, we're announcing it now, Vinny is starting a creative agency. So <laughs> hit him up. Oh. Uh, All right. Not. So please, please <laughs> don't message me and ask me out. to do your creative <laughs> for you. Um, but um, no, I mean, I don't know if that does. I just don't think it. I don't think it's ever gone anywhere. And I think that with the explosion of, you know, social media and everyone being able to say what they want when they want, these new agency breeds have come about, and I and and the majority of them are missing that classical training and fundamental understanding that actually that's what works is the creativity yep definitely there's definitely a lot of trash out there <laughs> i would love to see some more creativity come back yeah. especially in b2b so if you're out there creative in b2b you know maybe uh reframe your mindset a bit let's keep going we've got one more th one more uh lighting round going to cover microsoft is continually and stealthily bringing back clippy and rolling out bots in all their products, LinkedIn has launched their AI-powered job seeker coach that they've been rumored to be working on in the mid-year. The coach can help you to see if you're a good fit for a job, how you can best position yourself for it, also give you personalized recommendations based on your profile, skills, and experience. It will also coach you on how to improve your resume and prepare for interviews, among other features. This is for LinkedIn premium subscribers, and LinkedIn says that it's still under development. And this makes me think that our process at Xgrowth is more important than ever. We don't really do cover letters at Xgrowth. We do two-minute videos that we ask people to submit when they apply for a job at Xgrowth so we can kind of uh, get their vibe a bit more. Vinny, what's your take on Job Seeker Coach? My take on Job Seeker Coach... <sighs> Vinny has no, no opinion. He's like, it's good. It's good. Come back to me, Shaheen. Yeah, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it's good. Okay, so I, you know, we're we're hiring multiple roles right now, and I am very, very mindful, and I look at the stuff, the written stuff, very carefully. Of like, is this something that this person has written, or is this something that a generative AI has put out? And I can tell you, there are definitely candidates that you can you can pick it up that this is a generate AI and they m might have not like edited it. And, and maybe that's because also I use ChatGPT quite often and I'm more familiar in terms of like how it structures things and, and puts them out. 
But uh, I'm very, very mindful of that. And I think it is a little bit challenging in terms of assessing people on certain skills. I think it's very good that we use it. I think we should use it. But and and that's primary the, the reason that uh, here we turn to people and we're like, yeah, look, looks good on paper. Shoot this two minute video and talk to us about what you want to what you want to um, do here. That allows us to kind of filter out. Now there are going to be people who will be like, oh, I will never record a video, and fine, we're, you know, we're not we're not the place for you. But uh, we have to put yep. that measurement <laughs> in place to kind of like assess that. And by the way. We put that in place. We still have people that I can I can tell they've gone to ChatGPT and said, "Hey, this is the request I've got from this job application. What should I say in the two minute video?" and and give me a script. I I, I, I there, there there are definitely situations that I I was like, mm, wow. I think this okay. is uh, this is uh, too scripted. But um, yeah, look, I, I'm all for using AI. I think it's it's a great help for uh, for content creation, for asset creation, anything. Even even applying for jobs, but you know, I think organizations also have to think about like how do they navigate that space because it could be misleading sometimes. So it's, it's really quite interesting because you yep. so just on on the point of X growth, right? So you have a essentially a filter in place whereby when you are gathering applicants for a role or just general interest in joining your firm. <clears throat> You put mechanisms in place to filter out ones that, A, I, I essentially think, you know, can be bothered to put a video together or want to put a video together and go through that, those stages to do so, right? But then, and, and others, right? So, you know, do this form and fill out the answers to these questions. First tick of the box, if you actually complete the form, right? then we will consider, yep. right? Yep. Anyone that doesn't, you've kind of gone, okay, well, definitely they weren't right for us. We want people to show that they're actually genuinely excited and not just clicking the equivalent of an apply button, right? So what's interesting about what you're saying is, though, is that you are getting or you could be receiving more applications because people are now able to more easily use AI to apply for a role where simply by reaching out, sending a message or creating a cover letter in written word for you is generated on your behalf. What you're effectively saying is that you, we as employee, as employees, employers stand to receive more applicants. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, yeah, we, I, 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 there's services that do this. Mm-hmm. AI services. Yeah, I mean, we have, well. we've had two, we had two jobs at two ad two ads out. One has 700 applicants. Uh, I mean, I haven't checked out the recent numbers, and then the other one like has 300 applicants, right? So, I mean, first of all, it's just extremely hard to kind of navigate that. For sounds like small you need an AI projects. to help sift through. That's that's right. We, <laughs> I need I need Clippy. Can we well, can we figure it out Clippy has has figured out what to do with uh, people who apply yeah. through the jobs? That would be good. Mm, yeah, yeah. There are services like sure. this already. Yeah, no, they are. they do have some pretty bad inbuilt biases yeah. though. So I mean, it's um, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting point. The fact still remains, and you touched on this, Shaheen. The fact still remains that. If you're going to use 
generative AI copywriting tools, the more information you put into it or the more information it has on you and the context, the better and more refined the answer will be and the more personalized it will be. Working in this space myself and working with AI copywriting tools, specifically GPT-4 and 3.5 previously, you know, I am figuring out that even with, and I've given it a number of tests, that even with a tumultuous amount of information, it still can sound quite robotic. And so if you are approaching life, professional life, with the view that it's going to solve all your problems and that you are going to stand above the parapet and, and, and stand aside from the crowd by simply clicking a few buttons, you are sadly mistaken because you're not the only one that's got access to this tool. It's a great productivity hack to get you some words on paper, which is generally the first hurdle, but you still need to be thinking about how you can take that information and hyper-personalize it to yourself so it doesn't sound robotic. Even Absolutely. Like you, have to, you, have to inject, you have to inject yourself into, into like whatever help you're getting, you have to inject yourself in there as well and, and make it you because... You know, some organizations might not pick it up, but but the organizations that really care about who they hire, they're going to be they're going to be on top of this, and they're going to be very meticulously looking at the applications and, and trying to trying to dissect the 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 AI out of the person. One hundred percent for sure. I think I think though, just just to finalize on that, right? I I think though that where things yep, are at yep. at the moment is it's interesting that we're having this conversation, right? But it's so exciting to know that where these things are going for me, it's exciting where these things are going that eventually it's going to refine and it's going to almost be like that. You've got, you've seen those AI humane pins that now sit on your lapel of your jacket or shirt or whatever. It's almost like an AI that follows you about. If that thing, if that thing, if that thing learns your, your mannerisms, if that thing learns, you know, how you speak and converse in a, in a normal in, a, in, a, in an everyday conversation and it can gather that tone of voice, that conversation input and build that profile for you, similar to what it is that we're doing with mysocial.ai. But if those things keep going in that trajectory, that's where things get really exciting, but almost, you know, scary too. So, you know, it's, yeah. I could talk about that for ages. Well, maybe maybe next podcast we can dive in more. Mm. Okay, let's let's close it up for this session. Okay, one one piece of content, YouTube channel, podcast, a book that you, either of you are really into at the moment, Shaheen. Uh, I, I would I would go with the Tim Ferriss um, uh, podcast that I mentioned earlier. I I think it's important yep. enough to bring it up again. I've got a lot of value out of it. Yep. Back to Tim Ferriss. Vinny, I know you're not a big reader. Are you? I've been put on to, I've been put on to uh, a podcast series called On With Kara Swisher. Oh, I love Kara Swisher. Yep. Um, love her. Yeah. One of my favorites, generous full time. Yeah, right. So um, I've been put on to her by someone that I was actually having a, a conversation with earlier this week. And quite interesting to hear the last couple of episodes were about Elon and uh, X and Twitter and now Grok, the, Grok, the AI yep. powered thing from from all the data from from X and Twitter, which I don't really know how good that's going to be trained if it's going to be <laughs> yeah, using all the yeah. information from Twitter and X users. <laughs> Just yeah. a bunch of shouting people. I don't know. Great but, podcast uh, though. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's that's what that's what I'm steering towards at the moment. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a marketing one uh, this time around. I've been obsessed with a YouTube channel 
called Wrist Watch Revival. This guy just takes apart mechanical watches, cleans them and puts them back together. And great thing to see before you go to sleep. Yeah, right. Love it. Anyone who's into that type of thing. Okay, thank you for joining us, everyone, for this session. Today, we'll leave you with a quote from Walt Disney. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Tune in to the next episode. See you, everyone. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.